0: Welcome back to Season 2 of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson-Pettit. My guest today is my friend Sandy Kemper, CEO at C2FO, the first working capital market in the world. Sandy's a fascinating human in and of himself, from running UMB Bank back in the day to founding and building C2FO into the unicorn that it is today. However, our interview today is especially timely and focuses on a specific piece of Sandy's work at C2FO of late. Recently, Sandy and the C2FO team put out a white paper proposal around the $16 trillion liquidity Trap involving small businesses and larger Corporations that purchase from those small Businesses. A lot of Sandy's life revolves Around accounts receivable and accounts payable And he'll explain a lot of that in the episode They're proposing something they're calling the Small Business Supplier Protection Plan. Sandy Digs into the logistics and how this could work And tells the story of C2FO along the way Unfortunately, Sandy's audio is a bit rough, but the quality of the thinking and the content is just too good not to put into the world. They're proposing something that could have a dramatic impact on our economy in an incredibly short time frame relative to a lot of the other solutions we're talking about today. I put a link to the white paper in the show notes, so please give it a read after the episode. With that, sit back and relax in your sweatpants. Don't act like you're not wearing sweatpants. I know you are. (laughs) And enjoy this episode of For FinTech's Sake with Sandy Kemper.
1: The very beginning of of what is has now become CKFO. Yeah, I started back when I was a banker, and the idea behind lending, which made a lot of sense to me, and we had accounts receivable, and we'd take the accounts receivable inventory, they would as collateral, and we'd find ways to get money uh, to folks who needed it, because they had money tied up in AR and in inventory, and this was a way for them to get liquidity. But you know, in the end, a lot of times the AR wasn't as good as the AP, right? So you wanted to have a match of the AR and the AP. So as an example, if the company was doing business, a small business was doing business with a lot of big business, you can make an argument that the account receivable that that small business had was superior because it was going to be paid by somebody bigger uh, than, let's say, an account receivable from a, a riskier firm. Uh, so looking through an account receivable to try to find a corresponding account payable, and then and then... Trying to find a lower interest rate because you had better collateral was part of what I was doing at the bank. The idea behind risk, in the banking world, we have to be very sensitive about risk because we're charged to protect the deposits of our customers, so we have mm-hmm. to be thoughtful, of course, and careful about the, the lending we do. So uh, we were trying to get money to the companies most cost-effectively and looking for any way we possibly could, and one of the ways you could do that was by looking at the AP match. And, and so that was one of the seeds. Uh, and then one of the seeds that sort of began to germinate that later, 10 years later, became C2FO. But in the interim, after the bank, I, I created an e commerce company uh, that was called East Album Perfect Commerce. I spun it out of, out of the bank and then later it became. Uh, an okay company, uh, now traded on the uh, the London Stock
0: Exchange. An okay but, public company. Yeah, take a, take a company yeah, public yeah, and call yeah, it I mean, okay.
1: Trust me, was a, that, that, that company didn't make a lot of money for anybody. Um, it was, a, it was rough. We started that company in 2000, which was the, <laughs> I spun I spun out of the bank in 2000 sort of the high of the last boom. And uh, yay, off we go to create a B2B and just got my, my teeth handed to me. Uh, nonetheless, it did, it did survive <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say succeeded, it survived. Uh, and part of, part of the survival story of that company was that there was a period of time when we were going to run out of payroll and, and my CFO came in me and gave me this somewhat shocking news. We should have still seen it coming, but somebody delayed a payment or didn't pay us because it was tough times. Mm-hmm. And yet we had a bunch of accounts receivable. So I was able to call off some of the folks who had accounts receivable and say, can you pay me early? Uh, without telling them the full reason for the request. And, and I realized that a lot of companies could stand to have earlier payment. They could give a little bit of a discount to get paid early. We couldn't borrow from a bank to save our lives. We were losing money. We were a tech company. It was a nuclear winter post of 2000 uh, boom. And so there were no VCs. There was no venture debt. There was no normal so the only capital we could get was the early payment of our accounts receivable. So those two things uh, kind of came together after that. And I left that company in 2006. Semi-retired semi and semi-asked to retire by uh, some of the board members, who were not so terribly pleased that our company was continuing to struggle. Um, in that in that moment, I was like, well, what can we do? We can figure out a way to match AP and AR so that people don't have to go to a bank. And that was the birth of that was the birth of CFO.
0: So let's, let's fast forward and talk a little bit about like volumes that you're doing today. So pre all of the Corona kind of, you know, shift in the world, what, last year, what kind of volume did you have running through the, the platform?
1: No, I think last year we were, that's a good question. Uh, we, we just celebrated our, um, <laughs> we decided not to do a press release about it as well, because it was right sort of early March, Yeah. almost 10 years to the day. We started March 17th as our first market transaction in 2000. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, 2000. When, took 2000, 2010. I apologize. We started the company in 2008, honeymoon period, building the product. 2010, March 17th was the first live market with actual customers. Uh, customer actually won. Um, and I remember, I remember on that day we did, if I remember correctly, it was $34,000 of early payment one company uh, and I think on our 10th year anniversary oh I apologize <laughs> March, March 17th I $34,000 for an entire
0: week that was oh man volume. That, that is was, wild and, I I, and now and it's I what think, trillions or a trillion at least I,
1: no no I, I wish, I wish it was, no, that was that was just you know, what we funded and I, I sent a note around to the company I think we did something on the order of 2.5 $2.1 to, I think, 17,000, 20,000 companies around the world and, you know, 60 different countries. I can actually go back and look at it. But the point of the story is lots of growth. Uh, we're pushing now just general numbers, getting close to, um, we have yet to have our first billion-dollar day, but we're getting very close. I and love that. By it. that, I mean the amount, of, the amount of funding or early payment that the market makes available uh, to often, mostly small and mid-sized businesses who are accelerating payments from their customers so they, they can get liquidity instead of having money tied up in accounts receivable.
0: We've hinted at it with the story itself kind of, you know, leading into this. Like you've been staring at trying to create this liquidity for at least 10 years, a portion of your history before that is kind of centered around it. Like you've been focused on and working on this problem for an extended period of time what how How did the white paper come about internally? you know has this been in your head and when it kind of came to the kind of everything hit the fan it was like oh, it's time to write this thing like what what kind of inspired inspired the actual writing and so, putting it out there
1: yeah as is the case in any downturn again you know the banks are doing many banks are doing an extraordinary job helping all sorts of different customer types and sizes, and it's very very challenging time I know um mm-hmm. uh, the bank we use, UMB, where I used to be CEO, has uh, has done more than a billion dollars of uh, approvals, and the fundings are now getting to many of those customers very, very quickly. UMB is doing extraordinary, not not uh, not unusual that they would do. Other banks are struggling more, but, but yeah. the point is, there's so much need out there right now that that it's almost impossible for one delivery channel uh, to make things work. Which is why you've got. You know, the program of giving dollars to individuals to the IRS they may or may not work as well as they want. So they are trying to work the banks. But PPP coming to the banks. You got the Main Street fund. Now you got another 2.3 trillion approved by the Federal Reserve. You go to large companies, and small companies, and local governments, and larger governments in the United States. You got all of this sort of um, huge amount of, of aid coming, and necessarily. Coming I mean, uh, correctly to businesses and individuals around the around the United States, the problem is it's, it's getting stuck in the pike. Yep. And one of the arguments that we were making in the white paper, which was uh, that you referred to, if we could advance money to large companies, or in this case, we're using the Fortune 1000 as a base case in the United States, the average Fortune 1000 has over. 3,000 uh, small and mid-sized business customers. All right, so some of those are also supplying other Fortune 1,000, so the, the number's a little bit less when you take it in aggregate. Sure. But the average Fortune 1,000 is 3,000 small and mid-sized business suppliers. And they're paying those suppliers, as is normally the case in, in the business-to-business trade, in 45 days or in 60 days, and sometimes a little bit later, sometimes a little bit earlier. Uh, what if we could give dollars, This is what, the thesis by the paper, fund the fortune 1000 who are also struggling not to not to have money go to them they've already had some help coming from the federal treasury to help those large companies now create a second pool of dollars deliberately and completely designed to go to the f-1000 specifically so that they can pay their small and mid-sized businesses early right so now instead of having three thousand with one loan to one fortune 1000 company we can fund 3,000 small businesses tomorrow. No loan documents, no collateral work, no personal guarantees, no SBA. That's all going to happen It should happen at the banks, but let's augment that with earlier payment as well. All right, so the efficacy of what we're proposing is, is pretty simple. Cause folks to be paid early. The folks with small businesses are likely going to like that more than having to borrow, even though the borrowing programs are great and they should do that as well. We're saying create a fund in the United States for Fortune One Thousands, and you could get five hundred and eighty billion of early payment to small businesses in two to three days. Is there right? any five hundred and eighty there... billion? Five hundred and eighty billion could go to small and mid sized businesses in two or three days through early payment. No loan process, no documentation, just early payment from their customers, going from forty five days to zero days outstanding. Pay small businesses early.
0: I mean, it seems like the the quickest injection straight to the arm, right? Like straight to the bloodstream. Is there any, is there any precedent? I feel like the first piece of what you said, right? Just the some dollars getting shoveled into a corporation, right? Like that sounds a lot like what we saw happen with the auto industry post 08, right? There's, there's some correlations as far as that goes, but that second piece that you talked about and the stratification of actually taking it that next step further and kind of deeming those dollars will be used for this. It seems like there's probably some precedent out there somewhere. Is this something that, like, the the mechanics of it are, they seem straightforward?
1: It's super, it's super simple. Uh, I agree with you. There's something, um, let's, let's unpack that for a second. Um, if a large corporation is struggling financially, right, they employ a lot of people, they buy a lot of product from lots of businesses, so there should be support for, for large companies that are struggling. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not against any of that. And you're right, some of the things that were done in the last crisis were done maybe not quite as thoroughly as, uh, as they should have done. Um, but here, we're arguing for something that could be very easily and, and will be very easily transparent. We know what payment terms are in our accounts payable systems. And I say our, to a large company's accounts payable systems. Yeah. Terms. I pay this supplier, the system says, in 60 days after receiving the invoice. Well, if you change those terms to pay them in one day, you have a document, you have a record, you have transparency. It is fully auditable. You can show that you made the payments to the suppliers. You can show that these suppliers receive the money. So it's not like here's a bunch of money, from Mr. Large Company. They do with it as you will. That's right. that's already been done. Now we're saying, okay, look, we got another 2.3 trillion that just came through on Thursday last week from the Fed of Treasury. Let's, let's get that money into a special fund, as we're proposing, we call it the Small Business Supplier Protection Fund. Mm-hmm. It's upwards of, upwards of $580 million. It can go to the small businesses of those Fortune 1000s. And by the way, you know that the small businesses in the supply chain for the Fortune 1000 account for 60 million jobs in the United States?
0: Oh, my. Yeah, I, well I, I got overwhelmed with all the numbers in the white paper, but yeah, I've, now that you say it, I do remember saying that now.
1: Yeah, only early, early time's not gonna save all of all of those jobs. It has to be it, there just has to be a, a network, a web of solutions to help those jobs and those small businesses. But we, we think we have we have a solution that can go very rapidly, very effectively, and it, as I say, is completely um, transparent. And been, by the way, we're not arguing for it to go through C two F O. If somebody wants to use C two F O, that's great. But this can be done easily without C two F O, just by going into the accounts payable system, changing payment terms, and moving money to small mid-sized suppliers. It's it's just that simple.
0: Yeah, I want to come back to exactly how C two F O is handling it. But before before we get to the kind of call to action piece of it. One of the things I'm curious about, so you, you were a bank CEO, right? Like you, you've sat on both sides of this. You've, you've sat on, well, yeah. maybe not so much on the yep. big, big co, you know, paying a lot of supplier side, but you've sat on both sides in terms of, you know, the, the, the banker side and in terms of just being an operator outside of the banking world. And I look back at 2008 and that's kind of, you know, especially as a millennial, everybody wants to compare what's happening right now to 08. Cause it's the closest thing that we have mental model rise, right. mental model wise. And I was thinking about, you know, the, the number of dollars got, that went into banks to bolster banks, balance sheets that we all were hoping were actually going to get lended out and that we were hoping with, you know, the whole trickle down economics thing that we talk about, how just compare and contrast how you feel, you know, if $580 billion is going to go to a bank versus going to go to big co's. What is the impact on the economy? Kind of the delta there.
1: Yeah, so it, let's let's go to the crisis of 08 for a second, and remember that the banks were also given—I uh, don't mean to play defender of banks, though. So I, I think, as I said, in many cases, banks are probably the greatest economic catalyst to a nation's economy. Nonetheless, uh, banks can make mistakes. the The idea behind the bank bailouts uh, was not a bad idea. Uh, and in many cases, it worked. In some cases, it didn't. Uh, but remember that the banks still have to be accountable for the safety of the money that customers mm-hmm. have given them. So, our yep. our, our reason for being, um, yeah, yes, is to help companies grow, provide economic status, but, but boy, we have to protect our depositors' money. And I'd say, I say, Alex, i most most sit on the board of EMB, and I'm right. very proud to sit on that board. So, the governments were giving us. Sort of uh, conflicting messages. So, here's dollars, go make money, go loan. And, oh, by the way, don't take risk in the mm-hmm. middle of this huge crisis. Don't take risk, don't go back right. for you. Keep your balance sheet strong. Yeah, so it was, there were, there was, there were, there were conflicting messages. So, right. uh, I think the programs that are being done today make a ton of sense. I think the delivery vehicle, uh, dollars into companies should go through banks. I think the SBA programs uh, and, and the Fed and Treasury work is, is really. But really well done. I think it's a little bit a little bit bottlenecked inside the banks. Some banks are rising the occasion, some banks are having having a little bit more struggle. We're getting there. Um, I think the idea of direct funding is just a lot more keen. So I we're not arguing that it shouldn't go through banks, that funding shouldn't go through banks. We're saying that there should be augmented programs, one of which we think should be really the small businesses by large corporates. Those large corporates, and before somebody says, well, why would you give money to large corporates? Understand that those large corporates are struggling often, just like the supplier and, and supply chains are. Many of, many of the large companies in the United States and around the world today have slowed down the speed at which they're paying their suppliers. So if I was being paid in 45 days, now I might be being paid in 60 or 75 days. So, and why are they doing that? Because these large companies don't have any business. They don't have any revenue. They're, they're worried about their own existence.
0: Yeah, it's an incentive system, right?
1: Yeah, well, even even before the crisis, uh, this particular pandemic, large companies on average had five times more accounts payable than they had cash. You can't just snap your finger and cause people to pay things early. There has to be a fund that goes to that large co then to pay their suppliers. What we're we're arguing for is you have accountability. You Mm -hmm. can see the payments that are being made early. You can trace this through the accounts payable systems. You can confirm the payments were received by supply. I mean, it is, it is a very transparent solution and a very immediate solution that we think can do extraordinary good for you as US
0: economy. So, are you putting on your lobbying hat a little bit? You know, are you are you uh, leaning I mean, in and calling calling Congress people the way you never have before? Yeah, yeah, we are.
1: Uh, and 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 I think it's. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it's not to say it's not to we're probably a little bit late to the game. We should have we should have had a you know, better relationship. You know, my father ran for the senate. Uh, my brother ran for a, a political office back in yeah. the day, and uh, I've always been sort of you know, I've always thought that the actually the best way to change the world is through business, not through politics. Uh, I think businesses can provide a much better uh, platform upon which to do something great than than uh, political cynicists can. But um yes, answer your question if we advance government relations. We, we are we're playing the game and in part because we think what, we, what we've what we suggested is is kind of potentially important to the US economy.
0: Well, I think it's more than kind of potentially important. It seems like it unlocks an incredible amount of value. And I mean, to your point, liquidity in a tiny amount of time, comparatively tiny amount of time, right? It's all relative. Let's jump to the call to action piece now. So I know C2FO is giving away the platform for at least some period of time. Kind of want to talk a little bit about how you all specifically are reacting and then how you're kind of supporting others and changing their payment terms on different systems, maybe. Yeah,
1: sure. So as you said before... Earlier payment to small and mid sized businesses can happen easily with the Apache 2 We happen to have a lot of large buyers and a lot of, of small and mid sized businesses on our platform. I think we have like now approaching a million small and mid sized businesses around the world on our platform, and, and some of the largest companies, you know, we're fortunate that some of the largest companies will use us uh, to pay their suppliers. Or like uh, but it does not have to come through us, and 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 we've also said, by the way, if there's a if there's someone that wants to do this in particular, wants to accelerate small and mid-sized business payments, we'll we'll do it for free, uh, no setup charges, uh, no subscription charges, no transaction fees. If you, as a large company, want to use c C2FO, you can. For your small and mid-sized businesses if you pay paid early, we'll do everything without any cost. Um, but it can be done pretty easily at us as well. It's it's just sometimes it's easier. The thing that we present is a system that already has supplier service. So we have an entire team that works with suppliers, so um, hundreds of people around the world that are onboard suppliers, talk to them about their needs, make sure that the system is set up properly for them. It's pretty easy to set the system up but still, We, we like to have a human voice there for someone to speak to. Most big companies don't have that sort of service center for their suppliers. We're happy to, to donate that and make that available for, to help make the program work for, for businesses that would like to use us. Uh, but as I said, the, the point is, if all went to C12O, we'd end up being a bottleneck as well. Some of it can, mm. but, but a lot of it can go without us, and the idea is very simple. <laughs> so to give dollars to large corporations, Fortune 1000 as we propose in the United States, so that they can pay their small and mid-sized businesses,
0: well the beauty of this whole thing is the simplicity so i think the like you explain it. It's very clear in terms of what the outcome is going to be. Um, but I think the the last remaining question on it is how can listeners be helpful? Should we be calling our Congress people? Should we be stepping up as, you know, FinTech nerds, if not leaders um, and, you know, bankers and, you know, kind of all stripes of different weirdos that listen to the things like this. Should we be reaching out to folks? Is there things we can do to help? Yes,
1: the right paper is out there. It's on the c 2 If, if side want to take a look at it and the math behind it. It, it, it took a, it a little bit of research to write. Uh, I had a lot of fun yeah. actually doing it because it, it, was, it was interesting to kind of look at the economic impact of what we were talking about globally in the United States. Yes, the answer is we'd love any, anyone, who, anyone who would like to and who does um, appreciate and wants to support the position should, should help us spread the word. So, the white paper. If you have connections politically, please let them know that you think this is a good idea. Time, time is wasting on this, and things don't yeah. always move as rapidly as we would like, especially on on, uh, on things political. And the more voice we have suggesting that this is a very easy, very simple way to get money to small businesses, the faster we can get this done.
0: Yeah, well, there's no silver bullet, right? A whole bunch of lead ones, and this seems like a pretty important lead one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of an arsenal that I think should be, should be deployed. And, uh, again, we want to give. Do, credit credit is due. Fine credit. There's been a great credit programs established. <laughs> You're uh, such a nerd. Did you just giggle at that? Thanks. <laughs> for doing a great job. Uh, there's just there's just more need than can be met, and yeah. uh, we're not saying it's we're not saying it's either or. We're saying it's and. And there needs to be a lot of ads out there. And yeah. uh, if we do that, if we do that, and I think we, we are, then we escape. Uh, you know, we, we, learn, we learn. We clearly learned from the lessons. Of the, of, the, of the long ago past, which is you don't just hunker down and, and go through this. You flood the economy with liquidity as best you can, and that's how you avoid a depression. Uh, and, and flooding the economy is exactly what's happening around the world. Uh, this, of course, brings up another discussion point for later, which is what's the longer term impact of this relative inflation. But right now, we don't have inflationary fears, we don't have inflationary pressures. We need to get more money into. Into the hands of people and businesses immediately, and they're just part of the solution. One part of the solution.
0: I mean, it's, it's fair to bring up the D word, right? It's, it's scary, but there's possibilities. It's not likely. Well, no. Yeah, you know, I, I, so I, I kind of disagree with that.
1: I mean, you, know, you never say never. But the reasons we fell into, there's lots of reasons we fell into the difficulty that we did in, in the 30s. Primarily, we had an attitude of, of not creating liquidity early on. And that was reversed with the next administration to do for quite a bit of liquidity yeah. and spending. And uh, we're, we're certainly creating the paid spending. So I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be alarmist. I think people, I think there's liquidity. I think uh, the consumers will spend, like businesses will spend. Uh, we, we had a very strong economy going into this. We'll have a strong economy coming out of this. It'll so just take a little bit of time. <laughs>
0: Well, so out speaking of that, outside of kind of the liquidity trap piece itself what what has volume been like at c two f o since all this has happened? I'm just curious about kind of has demand yeah. increased dramatically has it has it done like I'm sure there's just some weird shit going on in that data right now
1: there's some, there's some really interesting stuff going on and you can imagine in the industries that are that are up and running, we've seen rather significant increases in volume right? So retail yep. grocery food provision. So we have we have a lot of like I think we yeah, 60 or 70% of all groceries in the United yeah, States. God. Going you guys,
0: Costco right? and yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. groups yeah. groups so like that are pushing, pushing some
1: thought. They, they are and what's interesting of course is that and uh, you have know, the other effect of this, which is now you have increasing accounts receivable, which is great because you've got the suppliers supplying more to the big retailers. <laughs> but, but they're like, if, if your accounts receivable go up 100% because your orders have you gone up, not of you've got great big revenue increases. But you also have a really big cash liquidity problem because now your $1 million of AR has become $2 million of AR. Yep. And maybe your bank's going to lend you money, maybe not because your capital is not sufficient yet. <laughs> But even for succeeding businesses, you've got a problem of increasing AR because now they've got a cash flow problem. So that's caused more acceleration of capital. We've seen some really great behavior patterns by, in particular, without naming names, certainly the largest companies in the United States just voluntarily paying their suppliers small and mid-sized businesses early because they know what a crisis this is. That's great. Yeah, not all of our not not all of those large buyers have that extra cash to do so, which is why we're arguing for the fund yeah. to go to certain of these Fortune 1000. But boy, we've, seen, we've seen really great behavior, and we've also seen we've also seen kind of scary behavior where a large buyer says, I, "You know, I'm, I I have to separate my own cash. I have to I can't pay I can't pay suppliers early. And when they can't pay suppliers early, that market for us goes away." Uh, but to answer your question, we're, we're we're one of the lucky companies that that um, we're still up considerably over previous previous year's volumes. Uh, I know that we'll be exactly on budget, but boy, to say that you're up still thirty, forty percent over last year in this particular crisis is a is a real blessing. Um, I know yeah, a lot awesome. of companies out there that are they're having a lot more challenges, so I feel. Sure for and and uh, all I can say is you we know, we have some challenges as well but they we're lucky to have a model that's pulling us through this particular process.
0: Well you're doing some work to hopefully help pull some others through as well. Um, so what's the shift been like going remote? That's uh that's how many employees now?
1: <laughs> I think pushing five hundred now.
0: Okay. And what's the, like, kind of the distribution, Kansas City versus international? I mean, you guys are in a, what, number of countries now?
1: Places, places, cases, cases pushing up towards, uh, plus or minus 300, maybe a little bit more.
0: Okay.
1: And, yes, you know, and we're all, we're all working, we're all working remotely, though, though technically we're kind of in a central business because we're in the finance business. And yeah. Companies, we can give them some, but I'm, um, I, I'm, I, we have, we have, Daily calls and weekly calls and, and the last call we had uh on monday was with uh, yesterday was with our uh, injecting so and, and what's so fascinating versus the tech guys are, are loving this like, because the most most of them are just don't really like the office anyway they yeah. kind of get hunkered down and sort of connected into what they're doing and uh distractions inside the office can be, can be off-putting so I think our productivity from the engineering team is, is up considerably. People are pretty happy to be working from home. I think the same thing for our product team. Uh, you know, marketing, sales, supplier relation management, you know, the more extroverted uh, right. uh, personality types are are kind of sad that could be, you know, in the in the middle of the hullabaloo of the office with lots of openness. As You know, in our office is all it's all open, so there's, uh, there's yeah. a lot of activity. So people who thrive on lots of activity are missing it. And people who kind of thought that activity was a distraction. I really love working from home. We do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of Zoom, as you can imagine. Um, and what's been really cool actually about this is that it's given a lot of us in the United States and HQ an appreciation for what it's like not to be an HQ, mm. right? So we have, we have a meaning. We now know what it's like to work work remotely. Um, And I don't work remotely. I work in the office, and you know, I travel all around. So I feel a little bit of remoteness that way. But but it's been great to see faces on Zoom that I would not have otherwise seen if we were not doing the Zoom. So we have a company meeting, and we'll do it in Kansas City, and there'll be you know folks coming, et cetera. So it can go to India, it can go to China, it can go to Europe. Um, But now that the company meeting is all virtual. I get you know four hundred faces, five hundred faces. I can kind of scroll through. and Oh, you know, there's so and so, and there's so and so, and and when they talk, then they pop up on the screen. So it's been. Uh, I think we're going to continue some of the learnings, some of the learnings we've gained from this virtual experience. We will continue even when we're not virtual.
0: So what? Um, what are some of those? Things. What are the things you'll keep doing? Uh, maybe yeah, like allow I, I, allow I, the engineers I, to hang at home
1: a little more. <laughs> yeah, sure, for sure. Um, but actually, less that and more of the. Why weren't we doing a, excuse me, a Friday evening um, cocktail party, virtual cocktail party before? Yeah. Right, so it's not, it's not the most convenient time for our folks in India. I mean, that's, that's the, that cocktail party has been going on for a while. If they're on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's you know, 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. But we've got a ton of our folks in India, not, not being overstayed, but actually being online because they want to be part of the experience. We'll probably do more, not probably, we will absolutely do more just full-on virtual meetings uh, so that the entire campus, the global campus, can be connected. Uh, we'll do, we'll probably do a little bit more as well in terms of, uh, I think I think we've done a better job distributing information because we do not take for granted that people are going to be able to share it or move along by word of mouth. We become more systemic and maybe a little bit more succinct in how we summarize the things that are important that we're doing this week and next week and the week to come. After that, uh, so I, there's there's just some better structural lessons on how to communicate and better better lessons on how to virtually connect.
0: Yeah, it sounds like your uh, your ongoing war with the Dunbar number. It sounds like you might have found a uh, you might have found a little a little secret here.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Um, I've never been a big virtual conference call person. I usually get on the telephone instead. Of, uh, I'll be doing other things. I kind of feel like it's silly but I have to look at the screen to talk. Um, but As I sit here looking at you, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> just hey, whatever. We, uh, right. This has been a great lesson. For, this has been a great lesson for me too. So it's, I I really enjoyed. Uh, I've learned a lot from this process. I miss I miss being in the office with the team, but I feel like we've done a better job connecting virtually uh, to many, many more people than just the people in Kansas City or the folks who sit around me.
0: Have you... So one of the things that always really intrigues me is when you get to talking about kind of totems and mythology and kind of mythologizing pieces of pieces of the company's history, the founding story, things like that. How, how do you feel like inside a C2FO, that's kind of manifesting itself right now? Is there kind of, as a leader, are you taking an opportunity to kind of uh, develop a rallying cry around this? Like, obviously you kind of, you kind of yeah. have to, to some degree, but how are you, how are you approaching that? The
1: coolest the coolest thing that we're seeing, of course, is that, Provided uh, the markets are open, and some of our markets are closed, uh, as I said, because some of the buyers are, are managing their cash as they should, first for themselves. Um, but for those markets that are open, the stories that we're getting from suppliers talking mm-hmm. uh, about yeah. how maybe this helped them do something, save their business. You know, so it, there's, we're getting flooded with we're getting flooded with that more than ever now. So we're circulating those stories. So. And I with mean, a really glowing email about how this helps them do this. We've always been motivated by the, the success stories of our of our customers our suppliers, and and we've always we've always talked about the songs you sing around the campfire. What are those cultural um, reasons for your being? And mm-hmm. there are stories that are told that can be told virtually, can be told you know face to face. And even around a virtual campfire, which is your part of the Dunbar number, our position has always been, once you break past 150 or so folks, you surpass the Dunbar number. So we think about that as like a, a tribal campfire. And, and towards the edge of the campfire, you can't always fear the fire so much when you get 150 people around it. So yeah. that's when folks tend to start breaking off and go into creating in ancient times, new villages, and new settlements. Um, our position has been, we don't particularly care, um, our first goal is to make sure that there are campfires. We want stories yeah. to be told. We want the cultural icons to be understood in India and in China and in Europe. Now, as long as there's a campfire, we, we, we watch somebody singing around it. We want the, the folks to start talking about what it is that, that is the why of the company, what accents they use, maybe even what words they use. Yeah. Those those can vary. Uh, the languages can vary. But the, the core stories of the why of our company, you know, the why is, we help now a million small businesses and others as well around the world grow by giving them capital so they can continue to hire people, grow their company, supply their businesses as their suppliers to those large corporates get their goods sold, get their services sold, and then continue to grow. And we're not we're not necessarily in it to make money for the large company, though so that's part of the product. We right. it to give cash flow to the companies who need to grow their business, and, and the stories that come in from those suppliers are the reasons all the more people get out of bed in the morning and don't uh, well, take their slippers off. Now, just go down, go down downstairs, get their slippers on, and, and uh, work virtually. That's right. why they came into the office in the old day and it's the reason they do what they do at the office today. At home. The only thing I worry about right now is making sure the people. It's super easy as I think mean, you know, Zach, to to uh, just literally work entirely through the day. Yeah. Like, well, and, and as an example, I noticed and Christine's not been totally happy with me for this, but you know, what was normally a six thirty dinner has been yeah. an eight o'clock dinner for the family now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because the kids are sleeping in, but in part because you just you can work you can work until seven thirty, eight o'clock and not even realize what's happening. I mean Whereas if you're in the office you sort of feel people are people right. are leaving now for you actually do. Yeah. It's so really easy just to get completely jacked into what you're doing that you, you forget time and you forget to have lunch and you forget to get up from your desk. So we're we're trying to do some things. So we have yoga, virtual yoga practice at uh, two o'clock. We have stretching. we have um uh, we have the reading, which is a really cool program. Uh we do story time where we we are uh, by Zoom having a virtual story time where the kids can come and look at the screen and a dad and a daughter or a mom and oh, a daughter, wow. and sons can read, read the story to all the other kids who are now in front of their screens all oh, virtual story time happens at 9 o'clock
0: wow in the morning. that's a novel it's idea it's I haven't heard that way. before I like that
1: and it's been it's pretty cool, right? Because now you get your kids are coming with you to read a story to all these other kids, and other kids are seeing other kids. And that's yeah, it's, it's uh, that's been a really nice product. Um, that's awesome. Your like, team's coming up and stuff like that all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, if at any point you're reading a story, I would like an invite. If, if there's like a Sandy Kemper bedtime story, and it's you, you reading like The Three Little Pigs or something, I definitely need an invite to that. Yeah, I...
1: I, we, have, we have the uh, legend of uh, Thaddeus and Tumultuous, who are two troublesome giant trolls that live on the <laughs> want Hill, which is where our ranch is. And so I, I have yet to write the story in a book. Oh, you got a so children's long book long in, in you. Come
0: on, Sandy. You got a, you're yeah, you're uh, a children's uh, book it's, author it's, in the making. It's, it's, got, it's absolutely going to come up. But Thaddeus
1: and Tumultuous are uh, two very troublesome trolls that learn to live with each other and their salvages on the ranch and also learn how to relate to the small children that inhabit newly their territory. So you know, I, I could probably give a good foundation to my story I'm, about having to read it for all of the kids at CTO folks.
0: I can say, please consider this an official request for bedtime story. It's the new version of an RFP. This is only virtually only, only for you. Only for you. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, so a couple, a couple more things, and then I'll let you get going. I know, I know, Harry Stebbings is, uh, you know, he's waiting for you, right? Um, so <laughs> one, one thing I'm really curious about. So you've been a bank CEO. I keep bringing that up. Um, you, you know, have. Seen both sides of this. If you were kind of in your brother's shoes, if you were, you know, ex-community bank, just generic, like not not jumped in that water, but maybe dipped a toe. Obviously, there's a lot of variables in the world right now. But how would you think about the world of like fintech partnerships? Would you be leaning in? Would you be running the hell the other direction? Obviously, it depends on your balance yeah. sheet structure and everything. But what, what's your well, generic I thoughts?
1: That, I think you're you're probably better equipped to speak of this since you've done such a good job. Uh, Make until recently with DKC Bones and Tech Partnerships with you guys. So you're you're, you're a better.
0: Until recently. I like gonna, that I like tonight. the phrasing of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, until just now. Um, <laughs> my so my my position has always been yes, we should be fully embracing uh technology brought to us by startups. Now I think as banks are typically want to do, they're going to be cautious and picking those entities, and then yeah. they should continue to be cautious. They should look for those with the strongest balance sheets, the best game plan, the best factors. Yep. Banks, banks don't pivot very rapidly or very well, so in order for, for the FinTech partnerships to work, they have to be with some of the stronger FinTechs, I would argue. Uh, not, not that that's necessarily a good or bad thing for the FinTech or a comment about uh, capitalization of the FinTech, but rather just a comment on how banks should be FinTechs. Find those solutions you think mean something to your customers, and then find the find the strongest and the, and the most well back, because you, you really can't afford to have inside your fintech portfolio sure as a bank that's a churn due right. to failure. Um, so yep. that's that's the only advice I would give. Yes, full on, completely embracing banks don't do a very good job innovating. They do a pretty good job managing relationships and of something. U and from this because UMB does a great job knowledge and a pretty good job doing stuff. Uh, but even at you and B, that's been our position, right? Find those who have solutions, There's many ways contact them that have solutions that we think are meaningful to our customer base, <clears throat> and then make sure that those companies are financially strong enough to be with us over a prolonged period of time.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look at one of, you know, one of the main ones from the, the UMB side of things that was strong enough to make a big acquisition through all this, right? Like, SoFi just came out and acquired Galileo through all of this. And, you know, talk about picking yeah. a strong one that with a strong balance sheet and ability to, you know, spend some cash in a crazy time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the last... Last question, my friend, is how the hell are you staying in shape during this time? I know you can't get to Carriage Club. I know you're kind of probably yeah, not right. able to hit the weights <laughs> the way you normally can. And after seeing that Mr. Yeah. After seeing that Mr. Clean thing the other night, the biceps are still there. So talk to me. Uh, What's yeah, yeah. I had I had to end with yeah, it. You, Come on, I got to give you shit.
1: You do. You do know. Yeah, you. you do know. Uh, <laughs> as I said, my, my it is a weird world where we can write a white paper that that has a pretty effective solution. We like, think. Uh, and put it out there in the Wall Street Journal and uh, the Washington Post and uh, the Financial Times, and put it on LinkedIn and have it shared by yeah. the board. Um, but Sandy, did you put, it on, did it, you it, put <laughs> it on TikTok?
0: Did you put it on TikTok? No, But I mean, the,
1: point, the point is, we had like twenty thousand views of that white right paper and and that little thing on TikTok that we did, uh, that my daughter and I did, what just yesterday. It, you know, like at 11 o'clock last night, she came down to the desk and she said, uh, we at 2.5 million views. And in what world does that occur? I'm, I'm just, I'm too old to understand all of this. I would, I would think that we would have had 2.5 million views on the white paper that could actually save the economy versus 2.5 million views of some Mr. Clean meme uh, that my daughter made me do. However, having, having said that, to answer your question, you know, I live on a ranch. And you know, there are yep. always things to do. I yep. say, put the garden in last weekend. We were towing up land, putting down tomatoes. We got it too early, getting the <laughs> freezes. We've had to put buckets on the tomatoes. But there's always something. There's always a fence down somewhere. It's pretty Sometimes you got to cut up and move out. There's always, there's always work to do. There's always a trail that needs to be cleared. So I'm, I'm staying in the, shape the old fast and getting outside working.
0: I love it, man. Well, bale some hay for me out there. Roger, that. And I, that. You know, and, uh, I remember going to the Jewel
1: Ball, which is sort of a big fancy silly black tie thing here in Kansas State in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One one evening one evening, uh, when the rains are coming in mean, we, we and really bear bore the hay and someone a contractor come to do that, we've got a high scenery, but all the bears were out in the field. And you can't have, you can't put up wet wet like hey, they'll they'll they'll, uh, they'll actually touch fire with, with, uh, the decomposing the and you um. can often burn the bar down. Mm-hmm. So, Christine and I, with no one else, uh, because we had the we full on panic, the rains were coming. Uh, we got up in that morning, and then it the, was the, the Saturday, so the, the crew was down to Found Pratchett London to come back and put up until Monday. Uh, we knew rain was coming, in. and we put up 1,200 barrels of hair to two of us, and then went to into a ball. So, if you think about that, that was good, God. 60, 60 pound bales of hay put them up on the pickup truck take them back to the barn take them off the truck put them up so three lifts per bale so that was uh, what, that's some volume six hundred, yeah three lifts call it, it 4,000 pounds and we had call it uh, 1,500 that would be what 600,000 yeah uh, yeah I think something like that it was, a, it was a whole world of pain we were in we looked at each other and uh, I was standing there, seeing her in her nice dress, and I in my black pants. So I, I wonder if anybody else put up, uh, you know, six hundred thousand lifts a day fifteen hundred bills. That's, a, that's, a, uh, just, that's just, why you are who you and
0: are.
1: <laughs> and, and I was pretty sure that no one else in the black guys had uh, had
0: calluses on their hands, but allowed them to put up fifteen hundred bills ahead of yeah it's a it's a whole different world that's a yeah i make a crossfit coach blush (laughs) all right brothers good chatting with you good to see you sandy tell the fam hi good to talk to you man i always appreciate your time I hope you enjoyed this episode of For Fintech's Sake. If you want to get in touch with me, chat about the podcast, or learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Fintech's Sake or find me on Twitter at Zach Pettit. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and your costs low.